In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Today's holy writings, the liturgy offers us, seem to be certainly the most severe texts of the whole liturgical, liturgical year. In fact, this is one of the rare passages where we see our beloved Savior weeping, and where the sentiments, the feelings of our Lord, are presented to us in terms so strong, so difficult for us to penetrate. Tears of the one who is perfect joy, perfect happiness. Tears because of the ingratitude of men, because of their inconstancy, because of their easily repeated faults, and because of the easiness with which they go off the path that leads to heaven. But aren't these tears the beginning of the only path as we ha that we have to take? Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall receive consolation. Origen, an early father of the church, explains that Jerusalem is being destroyed because of the many crimes of its inhabitants. But he continues, he says, I wonder if these tears have uh, if these tears of the Lord were not shed on another kind of Jerusalem, our own Jerusalem, if after received and acknowledged the mysteries of, our, of the truth, a Christian lapses into sin, our Lord weeps over him. And he continues, the Lord weeps over our Jerusalem, that is our own soul, and as a punishment for our sins, the enemies of our soul, the malicious spirits, will throw up a rampart about it and surround it and shut it on every side and will dash it to the ground and will not leave one, will not leave in you one stone upon another. Isn't it a simple echo of what we sing or recite every day in the office of Compline? Be sober and watch, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, goes about seeking whom he may devour. How easily do we let ourselves be governed by our passions, forgetting the promises of our baptism, the good resolution of our past conversion, the requests and supplications of our most ardent prayers. St. Paul exhorts us to change our ways, to transform our lives, not, certainly not in a mediocre way, not without some conditions to it, but in a radical way. This isn't a call to mediocrity, to an easy life, but certainly a call to a life entirely dedicated to God, directed towards the one who gave his own life for us on the cross to redeem the world. And he warns us again as he warned the first Christians. And there fell in one day, says the epistle, there fell in one day 23,000, some of them tempted and perished by the serpents, referring to the Israelites who rebelled against God on their journey to the promised land. Some of them murmured and perished at the hands of the destroyer. These strong and terrifying words that we find in this epistle are nothing else than the very words of our Lord himself when he said, 
The day will come upon thee when thy enemies will fence thee around about and encircle thee and press thee hard on every side. And who are these enemies if not first, as we know, concupiscence of the flesh, this inordinate love of sensual pleasure, the concupiscence of the eyes, this inordinate love of goods of this world, and the pride of life, this worship of oneself. Second, after this concupiscence, the world and its allurements and seductions. And finally, the devil himself with his legions of minions. But our Lord continues, Ah, if thou too couldst understand, above all, in this day that is granted thee the ways that can bring thee peace, who else could bring us to that peace except the one who is the way, the truth, and the life? His own tears are these tears of love that washes, purifies, and fortifies our wounded soul after each confession, tears that are a source of peace. These same tears that in the Garden of Olives were shed on the Lord's holy face at the sight of man's sin. If we could understand always more the value of one single soul, the value of our own soul in the eyes of God, and the infinite desire He has to save it. But we learn from the great St. Augustine, God who created you without you will not save you without you. What should be our response then? The only possible answer is that of an ever more upright life, certainly with its difficulties, its many falls, but we know it too well, where sin abounds, if we confess and sincerely regret them and amend our lives, their grace should abound all the more. Christ thus calls by his example to learn to weep over our sins, to regret them always more deeply, to have an ever more sincere sorrow for them. The consequences are fatal for those who do not trust in God. As we learn from today's holy writings, he who thinks he stands firmly should be aware of a fall. As he drives out the merchants from the temple, so must we repel all the attacks of concupiscence of the world and of the devil, who seek to take possession of that holy temple, that holy Jerusalem, our soul. Several spiritual authors in the past have seen that this passage a clear connection with the other passage about the abomination of the desolation in Matthew chapter 24, referring to the very words of the prophet Daniel. He says, the prophet, Offering and burnt sacrifice shall be none. In the temple all shall be defiled and desolation. And until all is over, all is fulfillment, that desolation shall continue. Yes, indeed, no burnt sacrifice shall be offered in the temple because Christ our past has now been immolated. But desolation has come upon the temple because they have indeed been offering sacrifices despite the fulfillment of the promise of our Lord. He says in St. John, 
in his own person. He, says St. John, in his own person is the atonement made for our sins. And not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. And also, that love resides not in our showing any love for God, but in his showing love for, he, for us first, when he sent out his Son to be atonement for our sins. But abomination has shed its dark shadow upon them because they have rejected him. They have rejected his sacrifice, the only worthy sacrifice. And for that, for that very reason, Jerusalem was destroyed. Pilate requested that mages of Caesar be displayed in the temple after our Lord's death. The emperor Adrian had his own equestrian statue built right where the Arch of the Covenant used to be in the temple. And Jews themselves ended up committing all kinds of crimes inside the temple when sieged by the Romans. So the parallel with what is being, what is happening in the temple today, either in our own souls or the souls of many that once had consecrated themselves to God, or now in our own churches, where innumerable sacrileges are being committed every day against the true sacrifice of the altar at Mass and against the Blessed Sacrament, all of that certainly prefigures, announces a great desolation, where the enemies of Christ will be crushed down and sent, where they shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Abomination has truly entered into the temple, the holy temple. Pray and do penance, says Our Lady at Lourdes. Pray and do penance, says Our Lady at Fatima. The obscure painting presented to us by the text of the liturgy and their close similarity with our present times seem certainly not very promising, this painting, even discouraging if not depressing. The colors and tones of that painting are very cold and dark in the eyes of whoever wants to follow Christ and his church today. However, the liturgy does not end on that thought, but pointing at the horizon, brighter, more colorful and reassuring. Co reassuring colors emerge from the depth of that valley of tears, as we read in the entry of the Mass today. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord sustains my life. Tears and mercy, two intimately linked realities. The ingratitude of men, and yet the torrent of grace which flows from the pierced side of our Savior. Because as St. Paul says, we are well assured that everything helps to secure the good of those who love God. So if the sight of our sins and those of the whole world seem even more, even more apparent, obvious, and abominable to us today in that new Jerusalem, this new temple, this one built over many decades by impious governments and ruled by the power of darkness, our only alternative, our only choice, and salvation will be found in the restoration of the one true sacrifice of the altar. 
and in the promise God has made to men to send his mercy upon the repentant sinners as we pray in the collect of the day. May your merciful ears be open, O Lord, to the prayers of those who humbly entreat you. Grant that they may ask for what pleases you, so that you may fulfill their desires. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.